Hi, I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. And I'm Norman Mitchell, and we're the hosts of Lord of the Rings Minute, the daily podcast where we discuss, appreciate, and delve too deep into the Lord of the Rings Extended Editions, one minute at a time. You know there's a Balrog down there, right? It'll be fine. (laughs) Have you ever wondered about Hobbit economy or how wizards get their mail? Are you also in awe of Hugo Weaving's eyebrows? Then join us every Monday through Friday on our mission, quest, thing, only on DuelingGenre.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Dueling Genre everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Todd Mack. And I'm Joe Dorowski. And this week we're discussing Kenshin Himura from the anime series Ruroni Kenshin. Oh, great pronunciation, I assume. I don't know. I don't speak <laughs> Japanese. But to help us with this discussion, we are joined by returning guest Norman Mitchell from Lord of the Rings Minute. How's it going, guys? It's great to be back. I'm always excited to talk about uh, anime I grew up watching, so... Ah, we are glad to have you. I almost said you were from Spider-Man Minutes, but that would be incorrect. That's a different different show on the same network that we are also a part of. We're all part of the same family. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And we're just going to go ahead and put this out here. This is a pick from producer Andrew. So he's going to be joining in this discussion more than in the average episode of the Protagonist Podcast. Yes, it's one of my favorites and something I kind of had in mind for you guys to do at some point, knowing that both of you um, hadn't had experience with this. Yeah, this was definitely my first time. I mean, we can go ahead and, and do this. How did we come to this work? Well, for me, producer Andrew suggested we do this, and I watched it a little bit yesterday and a lot today <laughs> to get through the episodes we were discussing today. I watched it all this afternoon. Ah, okay. And that was your first exposure to it? Uh, yes, absolutely. All right. Well, now maybe some people with some more interesting stories. <laughs> Norman, how did you come to Roroni Kenshin? Uh, I originally found this the series through... Uh, Cartoon Network's Toonami block of programming when I was in high school. So it's one of the first animes I ever really was exposed to. And part of the reason I'm kind of a fan of anime today. So I think it had a lot to do with the other kinds of animes I wound up gravitating towards. What about you, producer Andrew? Uh, Also through the Cartoon Network Toonami block in like the late 90s, early aughts, um, (laughs) Cartoon Network became kind of a basic cable channel became sort of a, a more standard package. And so our family finally got Cartoon Network um, and Disney Channel and, and full-time Nickelodeon and all of those things. And on, I think it was Saturday nights, they did a block called Toonami, which was basically introducing some anime series to American audiences uh, for the most part. It wasn't exclusively that, but that was sort of its its game plan. And this was pretty much one of the foundational ones. There was a lot of um, Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z Stuff was in there, and this one, uh, Yu Yu Hakusho, was an early one that oh, made its transition, and and there were some experimental ones <laughs> that didn't last as long, but it it was probably the number one way that um, people my age got to know what anime was was that Saturday night block, and I set I set that time aside, like I knew what I was doing Saturday nights. So Andrew and Norman, you're both pretty well versed in anime, right? moderately well. Moderately? What about you, Norman? I would would say fairly well. I actually happen to know uh, quite a lot about the background of this one. Uh, And it's related to... It's kind of tertiarily related to another one of my favorite 
uh, mangas and anime, which I believe Andrew is also a fan of One Piece. So, uh, yeah. yes. Um, the, so with this one, it was the anime that I got introduced to, which spurred on this introduction to manga. Um, and this one was probably one of the truest adaptations from manga to anime. Um, and one of the better ones, like the episodes actually work as episodes, which can't be said about every uh, <laughs> manga adaptation. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, like, like it actually kind of translates well to a Western audience episode by episode structure. And the creator really just did this one series. That's sort of his, his thing. And he's well known for it. And people still look, I'd say it's, it's one of the ones that is considered foundational for the early transition, um, into the American audiences for anime and manga. And people still talk about this one. Like this one's never out of print. Yeah, I had never, uh, I've never watched any anime, uh, with any regular, like, I've never like, seen more than episode. You were, like, a hair too old for Toonami yeah. to hit you. <laughs> but I had heard of this, even though I'd never read it as manga or seen it as anime. So I think it's it's big enough that it had, like, filtered into my awareness, even I mean, if I never engaged with it. It's almost 20 years old, and it's on Netflix and Hulu at the same time. So, it, you know, like, they keep this one around, because people will always watch this one. All right. Well, as you guys know <laughs> quite well at this point, we are talking about Roroni Kenshin, and we're specifically talking about the first seven episodes from the anime series. And these originally aired in Japan in January and February of 1996, and they first aired in America in that tsunami block in March of 2003. These episodes were all directed by Kazuhiro Furuhashi and are adaptations of a manga series of the same name that was created by Nobuhiro Watsuki. And I apologize if I <laughs> was incorrect in any of those pronunciations. A little bit of trivia about Roroni Kenshin and Andrew and Norman. You are both welcome to jump in <laughs> with any trivia that you know about this series. Um, sure. <laughs> so as uh, as we've said, this is an adaptation of a manga series. The official name of that manga series is Roroni Kenshin Meiji Swordsman Romantic Story. I think that's probably a rough translation. <laughs> <laughs> but it is also commonly known just as Veroni Kenshin or also Samurai X. There are some references to it as Samurai X. And um, that was all written and drawn by Nobuhiro Watsuki. The series is part of a genre called shonen manga, which is manga that is targeted at boys between the ages of about 8 to 18. And specifically, this one is noted for its serious tone and themes of atonement, peace, and romance, which vary from the typical shonen manga. So, uh, Watsuki was trying to do something a little different. I'm gonna have questions about that. Your uh, your characterization of the serious tone of this. <laughs> uh, it is not super present in the first part of the series. Yeah, the like the major arc throughout the. I mean, if you break it into thirds, like the second third. Um, and maybe half of the, the first third is a long, continuous, very intense arc, um, dealing with a lot of history and, and it's, uh, much less, uh, humorous. And, um, I picked these episodes, uh, because in the manga, I think the creator had originally planned for the end of this arc to be the end of the series. Mm -hmm. Like he didn't think it was, he didn't know it was going to be popular enough and, and sustain, uh, a fan base. And then it did, and he did a rather expansive ep epic <laughs> for okay. his next big arc. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then he didn't conclude it there. Like, this went much longer than he anticipated. So he was e expecting to end it kind of at the end of these episodes. 
Uh, yeah, the the author initially only planned a, around 30 chapters of the manga or so. And then it just took off in popularity. And then his next arc was uh, something like 60 or 70 uh, chapters beyond that. It's, uh, it's exactly what happened with Cervantes when he wrote the Quixote. <laughs> like the first there's a there's like a very a very short kind of very simple like he goes out he has an adventure he comes home and then uh and then and then expands expands from from there there into this like huge epic so i was gonna say that happened arthur conan doyle with sherlock holmes he killed him off because he's tired of him (laughs) (laughs) then he had to bring him back nice uh the manga was originally published in weekly installments between april 25th 1994 and november 4th 1999 and besides the anime we're discussing it has been adapted into novels video games a stage musical and a live action film uh at least well depending on how you count it there's um you can get the blu-rays it's three separate films as a tight trilogy of the second arc not so much this first for the live action Mm -hmm. i'm really interested to watch those which I have seen, and the manga and the anime are both better, I think, overall, as, as the stories. But as a trilogy adaptation of it, it's pretty good. <laughs> and just to demonstrate the popularity of this series, there are over 70 million copies of the manga series in print. And the anime series typically ranks in the 100 most watched TV programs in Japan. And I couldn't, I, like, I found that on Wikipedia. And I couldn't figure out, like, what window they're talking about. Or it's just like it could be on time. It could yeah. be one of those ones that like 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 a Star Trek that ever, somebody's always watching. Yeah, this show. Yeah, they uh, there. I can't remember the name of the organization. It's on the it's on the tip of my tongue. But they do like a a yearly breakdown of some of the most watched anime programs. And this was initially in the bottom fifty. And over the the next few years, as it gained popularity in the U.S., it typically ranks in the top half or like the top quarter. For an example, like like I said, it's never out of print um, since since it started coming out in the U.S. It has been so they take sometimes the standard size manga. This is the manga, right? Yeah, yeah. the the manga um, size that you get in the U.S. They will sometimes do reprintings uh, grouped into three, and this one um, they did a reprinting that was the each volume grouped into three. So instead of like twenty um, seven volumes, it was nine volumes, uh, and they were extra big. And that's the collection that I have. They've also now done another set of the grouping of three, but the normal size. So not extra big. Okay. Um, but they are like, this is always on a shelf. If you go to a Barnes and Noble and you check the manga section, you're, you're going to find this. Okay. Yeah. Probably the full set. Any other trivia that we missed? Uh, the main character is actually based on a loosely based on a real historical figure. Really? Yeah. So this is historical fiction. Um, like fairly fairly tightly historical in a lot of ways there a lot of the characters are either historically more or less accurate or historically based um more loosely but the entire setting is is very historical and and accurate i was like it's a little looser with the fight scenes (laughs) probably but um so i i did additional research into like the guy that the main character is based on and things like that could he jump up onto the ceiling and hang out there for a minute and then dive down probably not that was a pretty sweet move but as as he was an assassin during the the war Mm -hmm. um he was noted for his speed to the point where he would kill people in broad daylight and wow. get away with it. Yeah, oh. no, nobody could stop this guy. Like he was, he was. Did the very bad guy fast. have a hypnotic that was his thing. Uh, capabilities? Because that would be. Really, I don't know. Uh, but that would be really. Cool. I, I, I will get a little bit into. I will get a little bit into that. Um, the connection to One Piece, which you guys covered last year, um, around this time, 
the creator of One Piece was an apprentice to the creator of Rurouni Kenshin. So some of the uh, backgrounds and, and some of the not so much main character work in some of the uh, issues of the manga were drawn by the creator of One Piece. Yeah, and there's a oh. there's a specific issue I can't remember what number it is where the Straw Hat Pirates logo appears for the first time in an issue of Rurouni Kenshin. Oh. The the guys from, from One, One Piece, Piece. their logos here. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, yeah. I think that was towards the end of his apprenticeship. Apprenticeships are very intense for uh, manga artists. Nice. Anything else? Uh, that's all I have. Okay, before we jump into our some historical context and a long synopsis, we'd like to thank all of you for listening, and especially thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we give you an invitation to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support uh, our show with at least $1 per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. All right. Uh, before I do my long synopsis, Andrew was just saying about how the historical context is really key to this story. So why don't you share some of that context before I describe what yeah. happens in these seven episodes. When I read the manga, in the back of each issue uh, or volume, there was a kind of like historical glossary to help understand the context. And I always read that, but I never really understood it. So I actually took the effort to find out what was going on. So this is set 10 years after a civil war in Japan, which is sometimes called a, a revolution. So 400 years before this takes place, Japan set up a, a system of government, um, with a shogun, which is basically a commanding general at the head of the government. The emperor was still present, but was just a figurehead. And then the government was more or less a military force. And it was a strict caste system, sort of like medieval Europe. Um, and so this is sort of the typical feudal Japan with samurai and uh, the hierarchy and all of that. In the 1850s, Japan, the, the final shogun, he ended the isolationist policy of Japan and allowed Western ships to actually make port and introduce Western influences for the first time. And then a few years after that, he resigned and did not institute a new Shogun. And this caused some trouble (laughs) for the government system that they had. Uh, He wanted to reinstate the emperor as the ruling power and allow Western influence to permeate uh, the nation. This didn't go well with basically samurai who were in a good place. And also they were the government under the old system and would not be the government in the new system. So there was a lot of factions because this also would elevate um, merchants because they'd be allowed to do international trade in a way they had never done. It would decrease the military power and it would kind of level the playing field a lot overall and shake up all of the caste system that they had. So there were two major opposing forces, but there were a lot of little factions that just kind of coalesced into these two for the war, which was the pro-Western, pro emperor forces and the pro samurai pro pro uh shogunate which was the old government and and anti-western forces and it gets extra confusing because the pro-western forces uh since they were pro-western were called revolutionaries they were also called restorationists because (laughs) they wanted to restore the power to the emperor from 400 plus years ago so revolutionary and restorationist is the same thing in this case which is really hard to, for me to get my head around. Um, yeah, and they and use there the term a, imperialist in the manga and anime. Yeah, so well. it's it's a really difficult um, phrasing to get through in the historical context. But there's uh, that unit, and then 
basically the samurai who wanted to restore the the shogun-based government and institute a new shogun, take the power away from the emperor again, and expel uh, all of the Westerners and go back to the system they had had for 400 years. So there was a small civil war for about two years, and ultimately the pro-emperor forces won, and Western influence was introduced even more thoroughly into the government, the government was restructured um, with the emperor at the head, but with a lot of a, a Western tone and a lot of the government officials who had fought in the war. They were given positions as a result of that. And they they dressed in Western clothes and um, pushed gunpowder and and Western military tactics. And all the samurai pretty much lost their positions. Um, samurai lost almost everything. Most of them turned to crime rather than join the new government because that was considered shameful. Um, those who joined the new government sometimes had to deal with that shame. And a lot of them would, uh, well, the ones that would join the government usually joined as, as police officers because there was a sword ban. So anyone who had swords, you either had to have permission from the government or you would get arrested. This story takes place 10 years after that. The main character, Rurouni Kenshin, had been part of the pro-emperor and pro-western conflict. He was, he wasn't part of the military? <laughs> I don't know if I want to spoil all of that, but, um, well, there were four people on that side who were called Hidokiri, which translates to manslayer, um, the four really deadly assassins okay. that are historically recognized from that period. Um, manslayer comes yeah. up a few times in the first episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, after, after the conflict, instead of joining the government, he wanted to just kind of embrace the the world that he had, the government or the society that he had helped revolutionize. Um, he, he was in support of it. He didn't care to be a part of it so much. He just kind of wanted to live in that world after it was created. Excellent summary. Okay, listeners, we are about to do the long synopsis. This series is available on Netflix and also on Hulu. Is that correct, Andrew? Right now it is. So if you are interested in anything we've said and want to pause this discussion and go watch these seven episodes, they're only about 22 minutes long. So mm -hmm. it would be a fairly quick watch. And you will get oh exposed to the fantastic opening oh, credits. Let's, let's not oh, talk about the theme song oh, yet. Yes. I want to save that for the discussion portion. I wish it was the dub I, version on Netflix, but it's not the dub version of the opening. I have a new favorite song in my life, guys, but we're going to save some of that. <laughs> that song is like, it's the epitome of anime coming to America in the 90s. You're like, I, like, I don't know how I feel about this. And it starts oh. off one way and then it's not what you think it's going to be. I, I know how I feel about it. Anyway, uh, episode one. In the late 1880s in Japan, there are rumors of a man named Hitokiri Batusai. I... Batosai. Batosai. Um, that, is, that is in reference to a sword technique he uses, um, mm -hmm. drawing the sword out of the sheath for added speed. It's called Batojutsu, and Batosai means he's a master of it. Okay. This man is terrorizing people and loudly claiming to use a particular fighting style. Batu Batosai uh, was a legendary warrior who disappeared after the war that Andrew gave us some history about had ended. Uh, all right, let's try this pronunciation. Uh, now I'm lost on it. Ke Keoru? Kaoru. Kaoru. Kamiya is the owner of a dojo that she inherited from her father, and the fighting style that Batosai is claiming to use is one that her father taught at that dojo. She is outraged that this villain is using her father's fighting style, or claiming to, because her father's fighting style is strictly defensive. It is meant to protect those who cannot help themselves. 
Because of Batosai ruining this fighting style's reputation, she has lost all of her students. She sees a man with red hair and a scar on his cheek walking down the street with a sword. Swords are illegal now. And so she accuses him of being Batosai. This man explains that he is a wanderer and he has a reverse sword. That means the dull side is facing out. So if he were to attack anyone, it would not actually cut them. And this convinces Karu that he cannot be Batosai because Batosai is known as the Manslayer. They hear screaming and Karu rushes to confront a swordsman claiming to be the Batosai. She injures her shoulder in this uh, attack and the red-haired man saves her. Karu remembers when she was a little girl that one of her father's students was attacking people with his sword and her father punished this student by injuring his right thumb when that man attacked her father. With the injured thumb, he couldn't hold the sword in his right hand anymore. Now, the man claiming to be Batosai is using his left hand, and she makes the connection that this is the former student of her father's who is ruining the dojo's reputation as revenge. This man and a group of goons enter the dojo at night and plan to destroy it, and uh, and his old master's daughter kill her, um, all as revenge. She puts up a fight, but then the red-haired man enters and completely stops the attackers, <laughs> uh, takes care of business very quickly, and uh Kaoru <laughs> um, asks him if he wants to stop wandering and stay at the dojo, and he reveals that his name is Kenshin and agrees to stay. Episode 2. The next day, Kaoru and Kenshin meet a pickpocket named Yahiko. Yahiko does not want to be a pickpocket, but his parents are dead, and a group of Yakuza criminals only give him food and housing if he steals for them to pay back a debt that his parents owed to them, or so they claim. Kaoru visits the Yakuza and wagers her own freedom for Yahiko's freedom in a game of dice. The Yakuza have rigged dice and eagerly agree to this. Kaoru wins, though, because Yahiko swapped out the dice. The Yakuza threaten Kaoru and Yahiko, uh, but just then, Kenshin shows up and he mops the floor with the Yakuza, though he kills none of them. And Yahiko becomes a student at the dojo. Episode 3. Yahiko is not being a great student. He only wants to learn how to attack people, not just defend them, as Kaoru insists that her dojo teaches. An elite group of sword-bearing police come to the dojo looking for the Batosai. Uh, Kenshin has gone to town, though, so they do not catch him, catch him there. In town, the sword-bearing police are abusing their <laughs> powers rather dramatically. <laughs> they say they have to randomly kill a few citizens every now and then, just so that pe- their power will be respected. And they're on the verge of doing this when Kenshin steps in <laughs> and suggests they not. <laughs> we Okay, I think it's important to point out, in this description, you have to like picture Kenshin. He is... The opposite of an imposing figure. Oh, yes. He is, I think, possibly shorter than Kaoru. He is always, like, absurdly polite Mm -hmm. with everything. He has a very calm speaking tone. Yeah, thin, soft-spoken, slight man who likes to do laundry. Yes, and cook. Yeah, he he enjoys house chores. (laughs) Yes. Um, and so the, he suggests they not, but the police are not intimidated. They attack him, but they, like everyone else, are manhandled by Kenshin, who then offers to be taken into custody because he has attacked police officers so long as they release the citizens that had been threatened. A high-ranking government official was watching this, and he recognizes Kenshin from the war, and he tells the police to let him go. He offers Kenshin a role in the government, which he refuses because he now only wants to help those who need it. Yahiko, who saw Kenshin in action, now wants to become 
uh, a swordsman who helps others, who defends others. Like, this inspired him to follow the dojo's teachings. Now, episodes four to five are kind of a connected arc. A man called Zanza has a giant sword. And no, I mean a really, really giant sword. Whatever size sword you are thinking of, you are too small. I think it it looks like it's made of cement. (laughs) And it is... Yeah, it's more than he is tall. Yeah, like the handle is almost as tall as he is. Picture the Norman, sword do you want to take a stab Fi- at describing the sword? Picture the the sword from Final Fantasy VII for anyone who's seen that, and then like <laughs> double its size. The, so historically, That's about right. <laughs> um, the purpose of a sword like this, it was wielded by very few infantrymen because it's really hard to wield. But the purpose was to allow an infantryman to fight cavalry, not by being able to reach the cavalrymen. But by being able to, if possible, kill both rider and horse. Now, I'm assuming it still was like the real version of this would not have been as big as this anime version. I of don't the think so. <laughs> I looked it up today. I doubt it. it. The the one the 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 sword in real life looks like a, a giant uh, samurai sword, like a longer version of a but, samurai sword. This looks like just a big old sword. This is. I mean, it's like twenty ridiculous. feet long, and and like a foot thick. In the in the middle, uh, it's it's so absurdly big. Uh, there 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 really is no sword quite like it. Yeah, there, there's no like physics that would allow such a sword to be wielded. But it's incredibly sharp. So and he wields it with <laughs> incredible speed. I don't I I, I I don't understand how it works exactly. Comical speed, in fact. <laughs> yeah. So this guy Zanza with the giant sword, he is basically a hitman, and he wanders into town. And at a restaurant, a group of drunk men are arguing about uh, they need a revolution for democracy. But they're too belligerent, they threaten some of the other patrons, and Zanza puts them in their place because he hates hypocrites who talk about democracy but have no respect for the common people. The guy from the first episode uh, who tried to trash the dojo, he hires Zanza to go fight Kenshin. Zanza loves this idea because he hates imperialists, and Kenshin fought for the imperialists in the war. We learn that Zanza was part of an army of farmers and commoners that the imperial uh, that the imperials had hired, but the imperials betrayed that army and blamed their own atrocities on this army of commoners and killed them all. Except Zanza is one of the lone survivors. Zanza and Kenshin do have a fight, and while this one is not as easy as the others we've seen so far, Kenshin does win, and Zanza understands that Kenshin is not like other imperialists. Uh, like he learns some of uh, Kenshin's philosophy during the fight, uh, and. Zanza reveals that his real name is Sano, and he agrees to also stay at the dojo. So there's this whole group that's now hanging out at the empty jo- dojo. None of them are paying. Well, m- yes, but much less empty than it used to be, though. <laughs> and and she doesn't have any new students who are paying. Yes. I love when Zanza. So we get to. Epi- I love when Zanza is, is in oh, the good. fight at, at the at the tavern, and he just flicks the guy in the forehead and <laughs> completely <laughs> obliterates him with one finger, with the one finger flick. I like that move. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's strong. If you have that in your arsenal, you're going to do all right in most brawls, I think. So we get to episode six and seven. Uh, and in this episode, the police come to Kenshin to ask him for help because a serial killer has been taking out government officials and their bodyguards. And he's been doing this for years, but the government's been keeping it quiet. <laughs> um, but it seems like he's taking out an awful lot of government officials and, and, and bodyguards. And bodyguards. Uh, but it has been 
kept on the down low. Don't want anyone losing faith in the government. The style of the attacks described reminds Kenshin of someone he knew during the war. The killer always warns his who, uh, his next victim, so Gen- Kenshin knows who is going to be targeted. He and Zanza go to protect that man. When the killer enters the room, his eyes flash and everyone is frozen in place, which would obviously allow this man to go kill everyone with a sword with great ease. Um... Zanza, though, is able to move just a little, like he's fighting this guy's hypnotic power. Um, And that impresses the killer, but Kenshin is completely unaffected, and he surprises the attacker, whom he recognizes as a man named Jin-E. They battle, and Jin-E... That would be Jin-E. Jin-E, sorry. Um, A note about Jin-E, when I said there were four well-known assassins, Mm -hmm. he was one of the other three. Okay. So Jin... uh, What was it? Jin-E? Jin-E sounds like the name of a rapper. Yeah, uh, Jinae. 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 All right. Jine. I'm sorry. I am struggling with these Japanese pronunciations. You're, you're putting forth the good effort. Though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if, if we had to um, do a draw of who's going to do the summaries for when there's a lot of foreign words, <laughs> <laughs> most listeners would probably not be hoping I win that pick. <laughs> you're doing fine. Hang in there. You're almost there. All right. Ken, Kenshin and Jinae have a fight, but Jinae says, you are not fighting like Batosai, B- Batosai the Manslayer. Did I get that mm-hmm. right? Uh, and, he, and he wants to fight him at his strongest. He says, you're, you're holding yourself back, and I don't know why. So Jinae goes and kidnaps Kaoru and says he will kill her unless the true Batosai stops him. So Kenshin is enraged, and he goes to battle angry. And, uh, Which you have not really seen in anguish. Yeah, Kenshin this is the first. Yeah, we really see what what Kenshin is capable of. He's been awesome in all his other fights, but there's definitely a different tone uh, as he prepares for this this fight. Uh, and one more time, Jinae. Jinae <laughs> uses his eye flash <laughs> trick, which freezes other people's muscles. That's why no one could move. But he freezes Kaoru's lungs, and he warns Kenshin that she has five minutes, or that Kenshin he warns Kenshin, "You only have five minutes to kill me, or she's gonna suffocate." Right there, like sitting here across uh, because the Because if you, if you kill me, the spell ends. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, Kaoru's life is hanging in the balance. Uh, Kenshin fights with a lot of fury and a lot of anger. Uh, and he uh, debilitates, like, like he breaks uh, Janae's arm. And he's about to kill Janae when Kaoru... Uh, Kauru. Kauru screams for him to stop. And Janae cannot believe that Kauru broke his spell and actually spoke um, when when she'd been frozen. And this stops Kenshin from killing Janae. Yes. So Kenshin had like turned his sword around and was about to bring it down. Yeah, he was going to use the sharp side of the sword. And um, the only way to break the spell is either for the caster to die or like Kenshin and... Um, and and Zanza had demonstrated if you have a strong enough fighting spirit, you can you can act while after after the spell's been cast. But all the normal bodyguards aren't tough enough fighters to do it. Yeah, and so Jinae did not expect Kaoru to have to have that spirit about her. So now Kinshin decides he's not going to kill Jinae. So Jinae stands up and stabs himself through the heart. Yep, <laughs> and that is the end of episode seven. <laughs> all right. All right, can we talk about the theme song for a minute, guys? Okay, the theme song. <laughs> it's called... So when this comes on, when this comes on, you get, like, a very hard late 90s guitar riffing. Like, it, it's not even like it's riffing towards any destination. It's just yes. shredding guitar and dark images, silhouettes, and then it changes. <laughs> How would you describe the change, Norman? Uh, to... Uh aqua style bubblegum pop 
Yeah, like 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 very peppy J-pop. Yes. So I was uh I had this on playing on the iPad and I was chopping up some some peach salsa this afternoon. <laughs> and And you heard the the like and when it started the the peppy J-pop and I found myself as I was dicing peaches like bouncing along. <laughs> <laughs> to this very peppy music, even as the visuals on screen remain like, oh, like anime like, violence. Yes, of the guys samurai swinging swords, swords and, and, the, and, the, the streaks of motion lines everywhere mm-hmm. as this very happy song. And did you look up the lyrics? Oh, I have the, yeah. Well, I had the Can lyrics playing the, the English translation. So you, so of the you read them as it was singing them, yeah. which are which are very. Very, yes. very positive yeah. lyrics. Please, uh, yeah, yeah. I had them pulled up for me to read, but I would love to hear Todd's I don't, reading. I don't know if this song actually this... starts with this guitar riff, or if that's just something they did for what? this show. Hang on, I'm going to push play way. for just one second. Okay. That's just how this song is. Let's see if, let's see if we can get, let's see if we can get okay. this. Because it's really, oh man. It's so good. Uh, this is like, now one of my favorite songs. Like, so I want, I'm going to go order this so I can have it in, in my iPhone. All right. I... Just bear with me for one second, because it's worth it for just to, okay. just to, you know. Yeah, because like that, that shredding is so. It, the shredding reminded me a bit of the '90s X-Men cartoon theme song, but like, but like, it's like, but can we take that and be like, no, we're edgier than this? Yeah, we're going on steroids, and then full 180. I brush aside the freckles that I hated. Just for yeah. <laughs> like, is, is the word bubblegum actually in the lyrics? <laughs> I don't. The, it's the sugar, the sugar dissolving is my favorite line. Yeah, <laughs> it so. dissolves like sugar. Yeah. Well, well, we'll wait for Todd okay, to do a reading yeah, of it. Yeah. Don't okay. Now, listen, okay, wait, as wait, you wait, hear start, this, start. can you get it closer, Todd? We're not really hearing it. Yeah. Yep. That's the transition. Okay, so now I'm a, I'm going to read for you the, the lyrics. <laughs> now I'm singing it in my head. I want you to imagine me shredding that chopping shredding peaches, guitar, though. And imagine me chopping like, peaches, peaches and, and just like bopping your shoulders side to <laughs> yeah, side, yeah. and it, like it transitions from like all these dark shadows and silhouettes to Kenshin, uh, like like stepping out of a shadow and like looking okay, up into go. the sun and smiling. He's yeah. like riding a boat and emerges from underneath the bridge. I brushed against the freckles yeah. that I hated so, but life goes on and I heave a little sigh for you. It's heavy, the love that I would share with you. Then it dissolves like it was just a sugar cube. Now the little pain sitin, sitin, with, with an apostrophe. Now the little pain sitin in my heart has <laughs> shrunk a bit, but it really doesn't hurt me now. Those silly horoscope signs... Guess I can't trust them after all. If we could get further away, oh, 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 I wonder what it would be like. Yay, I'd be so happy inside my heart. All the memories I have are beautiful in my mind, but they don't feed the hunger deep inside my soul. And tonight I thought I'd be just sitting in my sorrow, and now I must wonder why. What did it really mean to you? I just can't see it anymore. I just can't see it anymore. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, <laughs> thank you, Todd. Yeah, I uh, I had the lyrics pulled up for a dramatic reading as well, but I'm, I'm glad <laughs> glad you tackled that. It's it may be my best it. contribution to our conversation tonight. <laughs> <laughs> like, and th- they were playing this on like the like eleven thirty slot on Toonami for and again, I think even with the anime, like the target is like eight to eighteen year old boys mm-hmm. to, to watch this and so you get like this hard guitar riff and then you get this 
this J-pop song, and then you get this show, which, like, the whole time you're, like, when, you, when you're 13 and you're watching this, you're like, this guy is so cool. <laughs> like, this guy is so cool. Like it's, I love Kenshin. He's fantastic. Like, he is, he is almost more, he, he is, like, a typical American Western hero, like, Kill Kenny or Shane. Yeah. But, like, cranked up an extra notch where he's completely divided these personas instead of like Shane, where it's like he rode in and he's looking all rustic and then he did some rustic farm work, but he wants to, you know, be a little different. It's like, no, this guy comes in and he does your laundry, but he also cleans up all the crime in the city. And he makes little (laughs) rice balls. Here's the thing about, uh, I think, I mean, it's funny to laugh about this song, but I feel like the tone of this song actually matches the tone of the show. I was going to say that. I was gonna it's, say it's hiding. Because, it's hiding all this serious stuff. It's so, and this is this is still. It's still hard for me to wrap around uh, my my brain around the the tone of uh, of some anime um, and some manga. I, I think I, I could say also, but it's just this um, these abrupt uh, abrupt uh, shifts in tone between like. W- the kind of slapstick that an eight-year-old would find very funny, uh, and then the kind of violence that an eighteen-year-old would think is really cool, and it just goes back and forth and back and forth. And it, it, it I feel like I'm getting jerked around, and it's really hard for me to like just to settle into watching it. I don't know if that makes any sense. It it does make sense. Yeah, because like in in the first two minutes of the of the show uh kenshin encounters kaoru and uh she looks at his sword and then she throws it up in the air and he has like this very comical cartoonish like panicking like stepping from side to side and his face is is not looking like a normal face as he like sees it flying up in the air and then it cuts to the sword sliding smoothly into the sheath like he catches it right in in the sheath and then he's back to normal and he looks kind of like with a serious eye down the street it's like wait like, in the space of time it took to put the sword back inside its sheath, you've completely changed on me. It's just these the, these hard shifts between, like, chibi and then, and then like, uh, I don't want to say ultra-violence, because, I, I mean, it's, it's TV-14, but, like, there's a lot of blood in this. <laughs> a lot of blood, and... But, it, but it's, not, it's not the sort of blood that you see where it's, like, dripping red blood everywhere. Like, they make, like, flashes of... of Red and pink. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of pooling the, blood. The pool yeah, underneath Jinae at the end of episode well, seven. Yeah. Pretty graphic. There's plenty of blood. But that's. It's it's not as I violent mean, as some other uh, anime. I mean, like, like if you watch Attack on Titan <laughs> and you compare it to this, that is a very different scenario. I have unpopular opinions about that show, so. <laughs> about Attack on Titan? Yeah. I have no opinions on Attack on Titan. <laughs> My opinion is that it exists because I've heard of it. <laughs> yeah. I just uh, anyway, it's it's there are aspects of this that I really really enjoyed, but the the tone and the shifts in tone make it just hard for me to kind of settle. And I, I settle wonder into it. if it's if it's something that you do just become accustomed to because I like I notice it, but it doesn't bother me. It's just part of this particular genre of viewing for me. Yeah, it's just um, part so of it's, anime. It's part of there. It's part of it's it's part of the uh, yeah, aesthetic. I, I recognize that now. I mean, <laughs> if I had watched this two years ago, I would have been probably even more turned off by. It. Uh, and I recognize it it as a thing, um, but I, I still just. But you haven't adapted 
to it. I have not adapted completely to it. I mean, like you mentioned Kilkenny or Shane or, I mean, any of these kind of hard-boiled uh, loner heroes. And it's hard to imagine any of them with, like, their eyes popping out of their head or blushing or, you know, like <laughs> the kinds <laughs> of things that happen in, in, like, really quite often. Yeah, whereas instead for, like, Shane, you get a sequence where he, like, buy some candy at the store and that's yeah. like the extent of his kind of goofiness because like shane is always always like a very masculine male presence in in his movie whereas like kenshin like he's, he's doing you know the housework stereotypically yeah. female roles he's doing the laundry and and kaoru's actually not good at cooking and cleaning um yeah. and so they do some reversal but then at the same time when it's when it's fight time kenshin is the ubermensch <laughs> Yeah, and I I would I mean I think th- this has kind of the veneer of role reversal but um Oh, I I, I don't think it's a, a true example of role reversal. <laughs> yeah, Ka- Kaoru gets a little damselly at times. Although yeah. she she is the reason that um like in the end she is the damsel in dis- in distress. But she also makes her own escape from it and mm-hmm. prevents Kenshin from being the rescuer. Yeah. Yeah, and she gets she gets more time to shine in the second really long arc of this series as well. In the opening scene with her, we see we see her, you know, fighting with her sword and you think, "Oh, cool, look at this like this great action female action hero." And then she spends the whole rest of seven episodes not being well, able to fights, do anything and needing off to a be a bunch of yakuza. Ah, she just she always but it doesn't it doesn't focus it does not focus on her the way it focuses on Kenshin in his action moments. Yeah. But it's pretty she, clear she, she that she's much she she's a several cuts above the average swordsman that you come yeah. across in this show. But the way this these stories tend to get structured, she like starts fights but can't finish them and yeah. <laughs> and Kenshin has yeah. to come in and finish them. Yeah. Sailor Moon is the same way despite being a lot of, you know, the main characters are girls. Huh. Tuxedo Mask comes in and finishes a lot of the a lot of bigger fights in that show. So, uh, I mean, just to put a button on Todd's comment, but my first note for discussion was like, there's still some aspects of Japanese anime that are just so unfamiliar that it's off-putting. And for me, it's really the exactly what Todd was saying, the Looney Tune moments where you get like the sound effects and the facial features that I associate mm-hmm. with like Bugs Bunny <laughs> in yeah. what is otherwise a more serious and, um, you know, straightforward animation. Uh, but I did find kind of what Andrew was saying seven episodes in i don't know if that got less or if i just got used to it but it was not bothering me as much as or at least was less noticeable than when i first started the series now norman you said you love kenshin the character so what is it about kenshin that stands out for you uh the the thing about kenshin that stands out to me the most and this is true of what is my favorite anime but i saw this first uh is that kenshin is an action hero very much an action hero like he's all business when it's when it's time to fight He's largely untouchable, except in the most dire of circumstances. But at his core, he is essentially a pacifist. And I've always found that very interesting, especially with the the overall story of the show and Kenshin's past, which is only barely touched on in this show and not touched on in any detail at all, really, other than he used to be an assassin in these first seven episodes. So I've always found Kenshin's character arc and his portrayal as kind of a non-violent person very interesting. And it's the first thing I remember watching where, like, the hero was doing his best to be non-violent or non-lethal. And I've always kind of gravitated to that. 
And my favorite anime, Trigun, the main character is very similar. I think this is um, a variation on the hard-boiled characters, like the Western heroes and the the hard-boiled detectives and um, other like iconic like male characters where you know they're really good at violence, but mm-hmm. that you you spend so much of the film being warned that you don't want to see them violent <laughs> <laughs> that, that like kind of builds anticipation of that and often they're warning other people like you don't want to fight me and, and yeah. the people who want to fight are often think well you're just weak <laughs> right yeah. and really they're like no you don't you, you don't want to fight me <laughs> right, i mean it like even makes the... me think of uh one of the early films that we covered in this podcast the quiet man like he spends the entire film saying no i don't want to get in a fist fight right oh, that's yeah. my favorite uh, <laughs> Wayne movie i love that movie so much <laughs> and that's a good comparison because he i mean kenshin is trying to get away from all of that that fighting. Like, that's why he has been a wanderer for 10 years, and this is the first time he's kind of settling down since then. Like, his goal is to peacefully enjoy the world that fighting created. Um, like, he understands, in, in, like, the very Western genre sense, like, fighting's necessary, there's bad people, you have to tame the wilderness kind of thing. And then, but he very much wants the tamed wilderness like pastoral peaceful um setting that he feels was the result of the war one of the things that i yeah, thought I was most the... interesting about this was at the very at the very end when he's fighting the the big bad what's his name gene gene or gene if you want udo gene <laughs> but not Ginny. that that's different yeah <laughs> yeah that's Ginny weasley different different podcast <laughs> um and the Gene says something along the lines of um, when when uh, Kenshin gets really mad, uh, he says, you're truly a different person or something like that. Um, and it got me, it got my head spinning uh, around this idea of identity. And like, this is one of Todd's favorite who things. Who is he really? Right. <laughs> and um, it, so you mentioned Norman that in his heart he's a pacifist, but he has to fight. Um, Gina's argument is that in his heart he's a fighter, and he's sort of trying to be a pacifist, but right. but he really can't. And that the 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 wanderer is like this liminal uh, state for him that he he falls into being a wanderer because if he ever if he ever settles down then it's like his uh, his true identity will crystallize and then he'll he'll be a fighter and anyway i just I, it was really interesting to try to think like who is this guy really in his core yeah and the the rest of the the series and kenshin's arc beyond jine is really playing with whether or not jine was right mm-hmm. and you know ultimately it's a story about redemption and and nonviolence and peace so it's kind of you know maybe foregone where he really winds up, but it is a really interesting thing that they play with throughout the rest of the series, especially with the big bad of the second arc. Mm-hmm. Cool. It was uh, certainly yeah. the thing that I enjoyed the most at the very end here. Well, I, oh, I have a question sort of on, on this topic having to do with his comparison to other Western heroes and hard-boiled detectives. Do you get the sense that in, in, in the hard-boiled detective film noir you know, trope. I don't get the sense that um, Kenshin is haunted by the violence of his past. I don't feel like he necessarily even regrets it, but he doesn't feel like it should be part of his future. 
And I think that's a contrast to like the hard boiled detective is always haunted by every ghost of everything. And, um, and, and the same with Western heroes, um, where they're like, I was, I was like, I was a gunslinger. Like I killed people. That's what I did. And like, Genshin doesn't seem to have that same sort of like self hate or internal conflict. Like he's not going to, he's not a hard drinker because he needs to drown these ghosts from his past. Yeah. The, um, the thing about Kenshin, the creator said that Kenshin is not intended to be either a good or evil character. He's intended to just be a man trying to overcome his past. But doesn't that make him a good character? Yeah. Like <laughs> anyone who's trying to overcome a negative thing like that. <laughs> well, he just seems so at peace. Yeah. He, he is like somehow he is peaceful, even though he's like, I killed a lot of people. Like I was an assassin for the government. And. Now I'm not. And I I get the sense, like, he does feel that he was doing the right thing when he was acting for the government. Well, but at the same that. time, he, he wants to not be a killer. Well, that's essentially what the uh, conversation he has uh, near the end of episode three is with uh, with the high-ranking officer, Yamagata. He says, you know, we fought for these ideals. And the way that he says it and the way he kind of brushes by it is, you know, Fighting for these ideals was good. What we did in the name of those ideals was fine. But now the fighting should be over. We should be just trying to keep the peace. Mm-hmm. All right. Speaking of the conversations, there was one conversation. I think it was in the first episode that I loved. It's when the one guy was in the dojo. It's at the end of the first episode. And she and says, uh, Kaoru says. This this speech is like, like the, the creator nailed his entire premise this is yeah. his thesis yeah this is the like, this is well, this is one of the best things he ever wrote so, in the entire series so the one guy who wants to destroy the reputation of this dojo he says swords are for killing people basically right mm-hmm. and she says no swords are for for defending people and then kenshin walks in and says that's make-believe but i like it <laughs> like I, I i will fight for that to be yeah. the truth in the coming future like i i wish that it could change into that yeah, and that's worth fighting for. And that moment when he says, your version of a dojo that uses swords to, do- to, to, to pretend, he's like, that is completely make-believe, but I love it so much <laughs> I want to make it reality. Yeah. <laughs> like, he, like, it's a wonderful speech as he, like, walks in, like, very, like it's, again, very Western. Like, he's walking down the street. It's like you speech. just push open the saloon doors. Yeah. And, he even and he's saying... Out right when he opened the door. Yeah. And he says, like, swords are, are a weapon for killing. Like, I know that. I've I've done it more than anyone else in, in my current presence can can even imagine and i i won't deny that that's what swords are for but in the face of this sort of disgusting reality i much prefer the fairy tale idea that swords can be a tool for protecting people and at this point having had the experience of the alternative i will like fight every ounce of my being to embrace that idea and and try to will it into being the future reality like he's he's embracing the idea that this is the situation but maybe it can change if we if we try and i love that idea that he wants change because it's what he's is was he it's what he's asking for himself can i be the weapon that protects people it's such a good moment and like anyone who i think everyone should give this series a chance and if the end of the first episode doesn't get you. I don't think there's much more in the series that will. <laughs> <laughs> Although that second big arc is like, it's, it's really epic. Oh, the second, well, I, the I was, second villain is amazing. I love Makoto Shishio. He, he is, he's, he's like, it is amazing. And it's a huge epic. There's like city fires and, <laughs> and a, an ironclad ship. 
Yeah. Um, makes it in because this is post-Civil War, so they could have an ironclad and technology. also loosely based on an actual rebellion that happened in the, the mid to late 1870s, just before yeah. this series actually takes place. Wow. Yeah, so it's... It, it and it's huge and long and you don't lose a thread of it through the whole time and it's it's very 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 good <laughs> yeah so so andrew had recommended this series and i'd gotten a hold of norman you had said if we ever do an anime you want to be a guest and yeah. you were excited when you heard what we we're gonna be covering and i was watching the first episode and i was i was struggling a bit with the tone like i said like the looney two things were pulling me out and i'm like i'm not getting into this as much as i hoped and then i saw that speech i was like yeah i get it <laughs> I, I know why people like this story yeah it's it's just one of those things. It's like, oh, that clicks. <laughs> I'm just I'm just hearing the speech in my head because we're talking because <laughs> it's one of those things that I always think about when I think about anime. I think about this show fairly quickly, and I think about Kenshin as like a good example of an anime protagonist. And I don't know. There, there's so much about this show that influenced every other anime I've pretty much liked since I first saw it. So. And we said we've mentioned like hardball detectives and cowboys. There is also. And this is the same vein of narrative tradition, but there's definitely a superhero yeah. element too. Mm-hmm. Um, to this idea of violence as protection, to, like that theme is something that permeates American superhero comics a lot. But there's also like when uh, uh, Janae showed up, uh, I was like Gambit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the, no, the creator looks exactly the, like Gambit. <laughs> Because he's got like dark eyes and then lighter, um, like the whites of his eyes are, are black. And yeah. for our listeners suit. who don't know, Gambit is an X-Men character who became very popular in the 1990s. <laughs> yeah. And then he's got like this, this hyper muscular jumpsuit um, that he's wearing. And he's got, and he's got the sock. head sock, yeah. which is the Gambit staple. Um, the creator loved X-Men. Like there are many characters. Like if you read through the whole series, you'd be like, oh, like that's an X-Men thing. That's an <laughs> X-Men thing. He's like, and, and sometimes he's like, I'm not even like. I, I stole this design somewhat from X-Men. Um, yeah, and there's a he, guy that totally looks like Wolverine. Yeah. And he's like, like Wolverine, not not like general Wolverine, but Wolverine with his like bandana after he got his adamantium removed, like feral <laughs> Wolverine times. Yep. And so it's like these really specific references, but he's like, yeah, I, I borrow a lot from <laughs> like my X Men toys. <laughs> like that's one of my background things around the office. The foundation um, and of this of the art style and the story in general is just like X Men plus real historical people. Yeah, um, which is I, I think one of the reasons that it it has such a Western um, tone in the way that other manga and anime, even when they're focused on things that you know, you would say are similar to superheroes like one piece. You don't, you don't really think about that as a Western superhero story in the same format. Whereas this one, like as soon as you think Western, you're like, this is just like every Western. Like this is the gunslinger walking around town. He doesn't mm-hmm. want to fight. This is high noon. This is Shane. This is all of it. Well, yeah. cause there's, there's a hair's breadth between like the, the samurai movies of the, the fifties through right. the seventies and all the Westerns that were made in Italy mm-hmm. and the U S and everything else. They're, they're so close together in the way that they're, they're structured. It, it's really, you watch any samurai movie and you can just replace it with a gunslinger and you now have a western and vice versa. And the studios <laughs> did that occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, samurai seven, seven samurai got adapted into the right. magnificent seven. Yeah. And well, and, and seven samurai was intended as like, he's like, no, I'm specifically making this, like, I'm duplicating the western formula and I'm making seven samurai. And then, and then they made magnificent seven twice. Well. Yeah, depending on, I mean, there's like a thousand adaptations of that, right? We, yeah, we yeah. up that. Life. <laughs> yeah. 
Three Amigos. <laughs> Three, Three Amigos, Amigos is, is my favorite uh, adaptation of a Japanese film ever. <laughs> that is a movie I have not seen in a very long time. <laughs> is it specifically your your favorite uh, Americanized version of Mexico adaptation? Yes. <laughs> <A Japanese film. laughs> oh, we need to get it on um, the list. Take take a few minutes. Talk about the other main characters because you get like a like an ensemble of four main characters. So you've talked about Kenshin. Um, Do you want right. to go Kaoru or Yahiko or Sansa? For me, the one that like had the most instant character that was jumping off the screen was Yahiko. Um, just his like his, he's got to be like ten or eleven, right? Something yeah, like that. I think ten is what you you pick him at. And he just had that brash arrogance <laughs> of um, that that in the face of like obvious objective facts to the contrary, he is convinced he is the biggest deal. <laughs> he is so aggressively proud. I like that aggressively proud Um, but what I really loved though was Kenshin's interactions with him where it it would have been so easy to be completely patronizing in that situation when Kenshin had just saved his life but the way he he talked to him was like you still knew Kenshin knew that he was the better fighter but he he wasn't like talking down to a child in, Mm -hmm. in the way that he spoke to him and just in general, I love Kenshin's speech pattern. The way he throws in, like, that's right, or, or it, that is, it is. That it is. <laughs> yeah, like, this dojo will be great for you. It will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's also a great moment for Yahiko when he, he pickpockets an old man, and then he hears, like, his grandchild saying, well, you get it for me? And the old man's like, yeah, I'll get it for you. And Yahiko goes yeah. and gives it back. <laughs> like, like, slips the, the purse back to them so that the grandpa can make the purchase. Yeah, and Kenshin saw that. And, he, like, he knows Yahiko's not, like, a dirty pickpocket thief. Yeah. He's he's it, a person. And that's a really good example of, of show don't tell um, right. for storytelling and for establishing character. Like once you see he's a pickpocket who's clearly poor, needs this to survive, but gives it back to the old man and, and grandchild so that the old man can buy something for his grandchild. Like you, you now know a lot about this character in that 30 seconds of screen time. So what are your guys' thoughts on, uh, let's do Zanza, the, the, uh, the guy with the, the giant brawler. Sword. Yes. He is my favorite character in this show. Oh, well, you had so much praise for uh, for Kenshin. I assumed it was him, yeah. but I I love Kenshin, uh, and he's responsible for my love of so many other characters. But uh, Sano is my favorite character really? in this show. Uh, I love what he kind of goes through, and I don't know. I've just always thought he was really cool in a way that, like, you know, we talked about superheroes a little bit, or you, you guys talked about superheroes a little bit here. Sano feels like a superhero once he gets going, more so than mm-hmm. Kenshin does in some ways. And I've always thought it was really cool that he also wears like a mark on his back that stands for evil because his past is wrapped up in this controversial thing. And and he never pays his bill. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's his thing. He's like, and I just walked away. He didn't pay his tab. <laughs> it happens twice in the span of two episodes. In one episode, it happens twice in one episode. <laughs> um, I always liked him as well. I think I, at some point, I developed like this love for not the primary hero, but the secondary hero in, uh, particularly in in anime, but um, also in in fiction in general. Like it was like, well, it's not cool to love like the number one main character hero, so I'm gonna like this number two guy. And I, in a lot of stories, I think the number two guy is a little more interesting. They 
allow themselves to like play with them a little more and make them a little less heroic, maybe, which can yeah. make them more interesting. Um, I especially like in this, in this, um, like the relationship he has with Kenshin, because in theory, when you look at like the war, they were on the same side, but then part of that was a betrayal. And so, so Sano hates Kenshin and the side that he was fighting for, but in the war, he was on that same side. Like he wasn't against them during the war. And, the, and so it's, it's just like this betrayal and um, like his friends were killed by their side of the war. So it's not like they were on opposing sides ideologically. He, like they their ideals are very similar and they want the same thing. Like their goal was the same, except that one portion of the same side betrayed the other. Yeah. And the group that uh, Sonosuke was a part of during the war is... Uh, completely historical. The name of the leader is correct, and what happens to them and how it happened to them yeah, is that's, historically that's all, accurate. That's all a real thing. Yeah, the, the Sekihotai were real, and what happened to them in this anime is almost exactly how it happened to them for real in history, which I've always found really fascinating and interesting, and it really highlights how war is just always dirty, no matter what you think you're fighting for. This series, especially when I like researched the the war... Like, it is so, like, the um, portrayal of the war and all the sides involved is so much more complex than I think we typically give um, wars from a Western perspective. Like, there is two sides, and they feel, one side feels this, the other side feels this, and that's why they're in opposition. In in this case, like, the history for the Japanese Civil War and, and in this series, like, half the people that they end up fighting were on the same side during the war, and then after yeah. the war... They're now fighting each other as intensely as they could have fought anyone during the war. And so you get this really like clear picture that like during the war, there were two sides fighting, but almost nobody on those sides was actually allied that closely. <laughs> and so like half the allies they get were on the other side of the war and half the people that they fight were on the same side during the war. And, yeah, and, and so uh... there's no predictor based on the war. But if it was from a Western perspective, it's like, yeah, there was a war and there were two sides and now those same two sides are still fighting. It's just not a war anymore. It's like, this is like, no, like his, his right hand guy was part of the same side, but now hates the side that he fought for. And then, you know, later on, they, they become allies with someone who Kenshin fought directly during the war. It's like, we were on opposite sides in every aspect. And now you're like, you survived and now you fight for good things and I fight for good things. So we're allies now i guess <laughs> yeah and the the guy that joins them in the in the second story arc is pulled directly out of history too uh yeah. saito Hij uh, hajime is pulled right out of history so there's so many characters in the show that have real historical context and it's when you start looking into it it does get very complex very quickly uh, but yeah you're right in a way that we don't see in western media when we talk about war war movies are always you know there, there are only two sides, and the two sides are completely aligned with themselves. And this is just such so many split factions and so many gray areas. And really, most of the characters in this show fall somewhere in the, the gray part of the spectrum as far as morality goes. Yeah. It feels like um, 
like what we see when, or what I see when I when I read descriptions of like conflict in the Middle East, and just how complicated it is, and <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's so so much harder to follow than than like a a traditional sort of grand narrative of conflict, which I think is interesting because, I mean, like in in films and books and stories, we have a good handful of examples in, in American literature where you've got the revolutionary war, the war of 1812, the civil war, first world war, the second world war. And those like beat for beat. I think about each of them. Like, I feel like in the way the narratives told, there's always just going to be two factions, opposing views, conflict, winner, loser, right and wrong. For the most part, maybe a little fuzzy on the right and wrong, <laughs> but in this it's like, I don't like I don't know. You've got 18 different characters with 18 different viewpoints and during the war they were opposed but now they're not and the people that were allies during the war are now the enemies. And like it just like the war is not relevant to how people or in the story how people like side. I think it's important what on matters. Important what you said that um I mean it's not it's not as much probably the nature of the conflict as it is the way that the narratives surrounding the conflicts have been constructed because I mean I'm sure that if I'm sure that lived experience like during the American Revolution was far more complicated than what we the narrative yeah we get. the narrative we get yeah because the, Mel Gibson's the patriot yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, and and probably many more times more complicated uh, lived experience surrounding uh, the American Civil War um, yeah. So, and I like I I didn't appreciate that when I was watching this as a kid. I just like I knew there was a war and there were people on opposite sides, and sometimes I was clear on who was on which side at some points. Mm -hmm. But then when I did research for this, I was like, oh wow! Like he like he like was really lifting from the complexity. Like it was a big when when the war was happening. It was like they kind of divided into two factions. But the two factions were made up of like 10 factions mm. that just yeah. happened to be loosely aligned on this one matter for the government. But they might have been aligned for political reasons or economic reasons or social reasons or personal reasons. Or geographic. Or, or geographic <laughs> because, reasons. And that's why there was another – there was a, a bunch of other smaller rebellions and revolutions in various parts around Japan after the beginning of the Meiji, area, uh, Meiji, Meiji era because of that. Because prior to – the fall of the shogunate, it's pretty much all individual feudal states all over Japan answering to one guy. But then all those feudal states have their own social and economic and political interests. And there's dozens of them across the island of Japan trying to figure out what to do now that the government's kind of falling apart. Mm -hmm. And that's where all these factions come from. And they sort of come across two lines, but then there's infighting between them both during and after the revolution. Yeah, so, like, I mean, we're talking about Sano right now, and he, you know, was part of an army that was on the same side as Kenshin's side, but was betrayed by Kenshin's side. And then uh, Yahiko, if if he is descended from a samurai family, would have been on the opposite side of mm -hmm. the war war. Um, but then, I mean, when it when the war is over, there's still people who were good guys and, and like decent people. And there's also thugs and that's on both sides. you like, people got betrayed on both sides. People um, were used on both sides and people were doing noble things on both sides. 
Yeah. One thing that I think is interesting about Sano is during his fight with Kenshin, like he is physically unrelenting. Like he goes so far into physical pain and like loss, but he will not give up the fight. Like Kenshin does all his attacks and looks at him and says, I'm going to go get the doctor. You're standing, but you've lost. <laughs> he's like, no, I'm not giving up. He's like, I'm going to go get a doctor for you. <laughs> which, which is a, another nice note for Kenshin's character. Like I just like, physically demolished this guy Uh and he was trying to kill me we're enemies but i don't feel like he's my enemy and i'm gonna go get a doctor now that i've i've broken him but but one thing i think is interesting about sano is uh, is that he's he's that physically he will take himself to the precipice of death physically but like intellectually he was willing to say to kenshin you're different than i thought you were like i'm gonna get past the prejudice that i had uh and, and so he doesn't carry uh, the the like intellectual or emotional, um, uh, you know, willpower to the, the like to never never giving in. But physically, he will he, never he, give in. Yeah, physically, he'll never <laughs> get in. But like his um, his opinion of someone it can so be that, flexible. That, that can change. Yeah, yeah. But he always goes all out. <laughs> I, I imagine. I'm, I, I'm always gravitating. I can just I can imagine him being. I mean, if he's really convinced of something, that he could have the same emotional tenacity that he has the physical tenacity, but he, but it's that flexibility, um, to say, you know, I, I, I think I was wrong. That, that, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting point. Yeah, if you keep watching beyond where uh, these seven episodes, that flexibility of character that Sonosuke has is highlighted over and over and over again throughout the course of this series. And I, I think, we, like Andrew said, he's the brawler. And so often, like, our stereotype of the brawler is that they're the the unthinking. They see the world the way it is, and they go fight right. what they want to fight. And, you know, they never give up. And that's not who we have in this. It's a nice tweak on the the uh, the, the stereotype of that kind of character. Yeah, it's, it's like um, Jane in Firefly, if he had... Like an emotional cord that was sophisticated uh, enough, enough, like sophisticated <laughs> enough to say, like, "Oh, my first opinion is not necessarily the accurate opinion." He doesn't even realize he has a first opinion. He just yeah. knows what he knows. <laughs> it's like Jane and Firefly, except really not at all. <laughs> right. I think the two of the things that I think really caused me to gravitate uh, towards Sano especially in these first part of the episodes and how he's introduced and the reason he kind of became my favorite character are that he always has to work harder than pretty much everybody else to stay even close to their level. And I always admire that in characters. And two, his flashback sequences for his backstory are some of the best animated and directed sequences of the whole show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was definitely a different feel when it did his Mm -hmm. flashbacks, um, just in terms of the aesthetic. That, that we were given and it was like a different but definitely be- like it's better like i like what we have in the main one but there's just, there was something more it felt more artistic well, i guess they, they even go all letterbox mm-hmm. yeah it, it there's just a quality to those flashbacks that stood out i guess okay uh one last character kauru I feel like I've been introduced to Kauru, but I don't know Ka- Kauru in I, these seven episodes. Yeah. Is that fair mm-hmm. to say for you guys who have seen the whole episode, yeah. the whole series? Like, it yeah. doesn't really focus on her. She didn't have a, an episode, aside from the first one, she didn't have an episode that was really about her and her learning something or her developing. Yeah, we got her backstory in the first episode, but we don't really get to know her until 
quite a quite a few more episodes in, really. Like I feel like just like we said, the scene of uh, Yahiko with, as the pickpocket, but with the good heart, and what we already said, you know, just said about Sano, like his his tenacity, but his willingness to change. Like I feel like I got a better grasp on those two characters than I do on Kaoru's in these seven episodes. I liked her. I felt like I liked her more at the at the very beginning when I saw her. I thought, yes, this is a really cool character, and then. She kept having to be saved all the time, and I and yeah. I felt like she, she kept starting fights. Yeah, she and finish. I, I don't know. It was kind of a turnoff, but then, um, and then in the end, I don't I don't know how I feel about the the very end of that. I mean, it's it's cool that she has sort of the will to, um, to break the break the spell, but. But if that moment hadn't been there, it would have been a really depressing storyline. Yeah, it would have been. And even with that, like, I don't know if it's enough for me to, like, for it to save that kind of feeling that I had about the storyline. Yeah. I mean, they they all kind of have a defining characteristic, and Sano's is his, like, physical tenacity, and Kaoru's defining characteristic as the series goes on is her mental tenacity. She will, she absolutely will not give up on what she believes in. Mm. And that's like, and that's it's not, like a, it's, it's not necessarily from a naive standpoint either. It's like she's committed to this ideal and um, she would rather work for it than just let it be dissolved. Yeah. And she'll work as hard as she has to. Yeah. I mean, I like I, I feel like as is so often the case with um, female characters, <laughs> there's like there's a there's a kernel of something that I really like and then. And then I just, you know, you don't see it develop like you would, also, would hope. But again, we're we're seeing the first seven episodes of uh, a much longer story, so. Right. I, I think and, there's like 60 yeah. episodes total. Yeah. And Yahiko's relationship with Kaoru doesn't really help in these first seven episodes. It just keeps calling her <laughs> the ugly girl. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't really do her any favors. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I like I said, I I I like her. I just want to see her do more stuff and develop and be developed, well, be and, more developed. Uh, even um, and what we have so far, like I said, one thing I love about Yahiko is his the way Kitchen interacts with him. I also love the interactions that we get with um, uh, Kenshin Kauru. and uh, Kauru. Ka- uh, no, the, the the guy with the giant sword. Zanza. Oh, uh, Sano. Yeah, he had like three names and I wasn't sure which one. Sanosuke. (laughs) Yes. Um, but I, I don't under, I don't feel like I have as strong a handle either on Karu's relationship with, with Kenshin, other than they're hanging out in the dojo together. Right. (laughs) You know, but in terms of like, it's something I imagine will be built across, you know, the other 90% of the series that we didn't watch. But in what, what the opening song is any indication. Um, didn't. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) The, well, okay. the thing about the opening song is that it kind of means two different things, whether or not you interpret it as being from Kaoru to Kenshin huh. or Kenshin to Kaoru. Yeah, there's 90% more of the series that could tell us something <laughs> about that, I guess. There, there's yeah, a lot like, to unpack in that 90 seconds of joy at the beginning of the series, <laughs> the beginning of every episode. <laughs> so, I, I again, like as far as Kaoru goes, I, I think there's going to be an interesting character there, but I don't know that we got yeah. it yet. Yeah, I agree. It, like, started and then it stops. Mm-hmm. But then it, do- it does pick up later. Like, yeah. she she does develop more. 
Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I would have enough faith from what I've seen here to continue watching and think, yeah, I think, I think she has a, a bigger role to play in this, and she's going to develop more as a character. Uh, but again, just in inside of these seven episodes, I felt um, a little down about kind of her role. You get to you get to learn a lot more about how all four of them kind of are separately from each other during the second arc because they do split uh-huh. up for a while. So you get you get Kaoru and Yahiko when you're focusing on one of them. You get kind of both of them and how their relationship develops, and then Sano by himself and Kenshin with a couple of other characters through the first half or so of the arc that comes after the first part of the series. One thing that I did like about this was this kind of episodic bringing the team together. Uh, I thought that worked pretty well. Um, I, I love too. bringing the team together. I I'm a total sucker for it. <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah. and too often like shows rush yeah. the bringing the team together thing. And this gives you a couple of episodes to meet each person. Yeah, more story should savor that part because it's almost never as good once they're together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Andrew and Norman, for any listeners who are kind of intrigued with this discussion of anime, Todd and I have no expertise. Are there other anime series you would recommend? Yes. Uh, <laughs> of course. Yes, uh, but uh, what, what um, might you throw out there? Well, that's a really tough question because there's some that are like this where it's actually relatively compact and then you have one piece which has like 600 episodes and yeah. that might be an intimidating get in yeah it, it's a different process and the ones that have 600 episodes are are not i'd say as easy and as enjoyable to watch episode to episode to episode um one piece spends almost a third of an episode recapping the previous like the up to this point and a third of the episode actually having content and a third of the episode <laughs> saying what's going to happen next time um and you get the same thing from like dragon ball and yeah. but this one has like like these episodes pace out like the the way you expect an episode to to mm-hmm. pace out and they're just telling the story so if you want something like that i highly recommend full metal alchemist which i know todd has um watched i watched most of full metal alchemist and i really enjoyed it i thought it was good um yeah. i also watched uh, sword art online mm-hmm. and that has some part part of that has has a really enjoyable cycle yes. and part of it has sort of a weird cycle <laughs> i know yeah it's, it's sort uh, of like starts off pretty strong yeah, yeah, half yeah of it's i agree like pretty great and then half of it's like i don't know what happened here yeah <laughs> i feel yeah, that same way like starts off pretty strong about the uh, the original full Alchemist series i prefer brotherhood yeah. uh yeah, that's the I one think, that i watched yeah brotherhood i think is really solid and it's one of the only mangas i've ever thought about going out and buying the whole thing all together i highly recommend buying the whole thing because that like we we've talked about for the show um doing some full metal alchemist and in talking to todd we couldn't really come up with like there's not like an episode or a small arc that you can do it it is a 55 episode epic like you have to do the whole thing if you're right. gonna do it <laughs> Well, if Which is impossible gonna, to do on a show like this. If you're ever gonna, I would love to talk. About, <laughs> I would love to talk about Alphonse Elric in incredible detail because he is definitely He's my favorite so character great. from that show. And there's a uh, lot going on there. Yeah, it, and and I highly recommend the manga for that one. The the um, writer and artist, uh, she did that. It was kind of her first thing, and everyone agrees it's one of the fundamental best. Like. 
like when you take that when you when you take that whole series everyone agrees is like no you like don't mess with that whole series because that whole series is a masterpiece yeah it's part of the canon now for manga yeah uh that's definitely high in the recommendation list for me too full metal alchemist is is good very good um, I have enjoyed reading the manga for One Punch Man. I have not so much enjoyed watching the anime for it. I think the anime kind of ruins it a little, but the, but reading it, I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Any, I, any other recommendations, Norman? Uh, so the anime series that I think is closest to this, as far as like tone, the kind of hero you have and the same sort of, uh, theme of like redemption and atonement is Trigun, which is my favorite anime and came out the year that this anime finished in 19, I think 1998. Uh, and it's a more Western styled thing. Uh, the main character is a gunslinger with 100% supernatural ability to wield <laughs> a gun and absolutely refuses to kill due to certain things in his past and does his, and he is so good at preventing people from dying that despite gunfights he has destroying entire cities, there are no deaths. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, try, I'm trying to process I, I that. I, like, I, haven't, I haven't watched any of it. Uh, I, may have, I may have to watch some of that one then. Uh, that's, that's my favorite anime, and it has the same sort of uh, tonal shifts in the middle of serious moments that this one does. Structurally, it is an incredibly similar show. And I've always loved it. It was one of the first animes I saw in its entirety from start to finish because of Cartoon Network's Adult Swim block. It was one of the ones they aired a lot on Adult Swim. And when someone is ready to jump into sort of a longer series, but not like a 700 episode series, I always <laughs> recommend Yu Yu Hakusho if you're into the action anime thing. Yu Yu Hakusho is, is also yeah. another one of my favorites. It's It's really good. The fight scenes hold up despite being animated in like, I think like 94, 95, the manga's. Yeah, it was, 92. it was an early, an early, early crossover, um, earlier, I think, than, uh, Rurouni Kenshin even. Yeah, it was one of the, one of the flagship ones on Adult Swim. Uh, and if you're looking for something really, uh, psychological or analyzes or, or looks into more deeply different aspects of human nature or different flaws that people can have, I really, really like Future Diary. Uh, the Japanese title is Mirai Nikki, and I recommend that too. It's only 26 episodes, and it is quite an emotional roller coaster, and most of the time is very serious. All right. Well, listeners, if any of those sound interesting, uh, I'm imagining some are available on Netflix, some will be on Hulu, some on Amazon Prime, and some you'd have to get the DVDs. Uh, you'll have to find out on your own. <laughs> well, and, and it changes around. Yeah, they yeah. do. Streaming services like to keep us on our toes. We're finding <laughs> for some of our old episodes when we said it was available on Netflix, we should date that with it was available on Netflix when we recorded. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, just one one last thing about the anime market. There's sort of a an accepted like these are the fundamental, most popular canon, not necessarily the the best ones that everyone would say. No, this is my favorite thing ever. But um, if you pull them up, you you will get the gist of what people say when they're talking about anime, and that would be Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z, um, Naruto, and and One Piece. Uh, those are kind of the biggest ones that are the general popular. Um, like they put a lot of episodes together because they know people will watch them. Yeah, kind of shows. 
as far as like more serious tone stuff, the one that comes up over and over and over again is Neon Genesis Evangelion. <laughs> I'm not familiar with that one, yeah. but it is a fantastic title for a series. <laughs> yep. Uh, that's that's an older one there's, too. That was that was done in the mid '90s, and it's like there's a lot of these uh, these translations of the Japanese. <laughs> I don't know how close we are, but I love some of the American translations of the Japanese titles. I mean, that's just straight up the Japanese title is just Neon Genesis um, Evangelion. There's there's one that is kind of picking up where uh, like Naruto and Dragon Ball have have left some space, and it's called My Hero Academia. Oh, I just started watching it, that. I, just, and I have not I watched any of it, it, but I know it, it it's picking up that kind of popular thread that Naruto, which has ended, um, left off. That is the title. It is not about academics. Oh, come on! I was all excited. It's not a lot of action scenes of college professors writing papers. Yeah. Sorry to disappoint. As far as, like, what it has to say, as far as the theme of the show, it's very similar to One Punch Man in a very different tone. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, Norman and producer Andrew. (laughs) No problem. guests for this episode. I think that's going to wrap this up. Uh, thank you, listeners, for joining us as well. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. If you enjoyed this episode, you may want to go back and check out episode number 48, when we talked about Lance Kilkenny from the novel Kilkenny, or number 114, when we talked about Vin from the novel Mistborn. Those two felt similar, but we should also mention that we talked about... Uh, Green Lantern and Sinestro with Norman, and we talked about uh, One Piece with, with Andrew in previous episodes, uh, things that have come up in this. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod, at Todd K. Mack, at Jay Dorowski, and our producer Andrew is at Andrew underscore Dorowski, and our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. We have really good conversations with our listeners there, and we'd love for you guys to stop by and comment on any posts about any episodes you're listening to. Norman, where could our listeners follow you on social media? Uh, you can follow the Lord of the Rings Minute Twitter at Lord of the Rings Minute. You can also find us on Facebook. Uh, we have a Lord of the Ring. Uh, we have a Lord of the Rings Minute uh, page, and we also have a listener group called the Fellowship of the Mike. And you guys are currently in between films, is that correct? Yes, we finished Fellowship. Um, Thinking about recording versus release times, I can't remember exactly when we aired the last episode (laughs) right now off the top of my head. But we intend to pick two towers up sometime in the beginning of the new year. Sometime in January, I think, is when we're shooting for. (laughs) So there's plenty of time. Well, maybe not enough time, but you could start (laughs) listening to Fellowship (laughs) and maybe be caught up right as... uh, uh, (laughs) It's like nine (laughs) months of of five episodes a week. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of Lord of the Rings Minute. I think we started in... I think we started in November and ended in the next August, I think. (laughs) Wow. That is an impressive so feat long. that you guys have done, and I am proud of you for picking up uh, Two Towers and just carrying on. It was like 230 <laughs> episodes. Carry that <laughs> All right. Uh, if you would like to support the show financially, you can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by going to patreon.com slash protagonist. Thank you again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. Bye.
Todd, you want to, let's just get Andrew a clean edit point and just run through our one, you know, 45 Any, seconds Joseph so far. Anything Joseph has said um, should be repeated. Okay, right. so we'll do it like Blink. You just do your part, and then he'll splice it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's no, not no, make no, him do all that. It's way just, too much work. It's 45 seconds. Let's just run back yeah, from the it, top. It was, top. No. It was Come on. <laughs> okay, run it fresh. Go. <laughs> 